While buying fine art used to be thought of as an exclusive process that only elite collectors were qualified to partake in, modern consumers now want to get in on the auction. This was the inspiration for Tappan, an online art gallery created to make art buying more accessible. But understanding this niche audience can sometimes be a bit abstract. Today, we're talking to Tappan Director of Brand Marketing, Megan Labor, to find out what it takes to curate a contemporary marketing strategy for selling art online. I'm your host, Kara Hogan, and this is The Empowered Marketer. The Empowered Marketer is brought to you by Zayas the CRM that helps you build the perfect customer journey from start to finish. Learn more at Zayus.com. That's Z-A-I-U-S.com. Megan Labor didn't major in art history, nor does she consider herself an artist. But after building her career working for luxury fashion labels, sustainable jewelers, boutique hotels, and various publications, she was looking for a new challenge that was a bit more impactful. Tappan is an online art gallery that represents over 60 artists around the globe. They were founded by Chelsea Neiman Nassib when she graduated art school. And she got out and was looking for a path into the art world, ways to show her work, sell her work. And she really noticed that there was a huge gap in that market or in that space and that the old guard way of having connections or nepotism were really a lot of the different channels really reflected that more so than this kind of like democratic way of gaining access to audiences or sharing your work. And so she kind of made her mission to create something that would create a space for artists like that, as well as not be as pretentious or prohibiting from certain buyers. I think The art world also has uh, a certain group of people that they speak to, and they aren't super interested in appealing to the masses. And I think that while art itself is kind of a more niche category, I definitely see how Tappan has kind of created a space for people that maybe are a little bit more intimidated by the traditional ways of selling. And so, you know, purchasing online really creates more of that autonomy for buyers uh, in the art world itself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me that, you know, someone might want to support specific artists, but, you know, maybe they don't live in New York around the corner from a gallery with, you know, the type of art that they love. Yeah, exactly. And it's in that world is it's super different than the online space. But at the same time, everything kind of has its place within that world. I think what really drew me to working there was that I had worked in luxury fashion for five years at that point. And with the way that the environment is going and and then also just consumer habits, watching people, you know, purchase things that maybe weren't super necessary to their lifestyles and continually marketing uh, those kinds of products. There was something like gut wise that got me. And when Chelsea approached me about working with Tappan, I think making a more direct impact on these emerging artists who are just starting their careers and every sale really means a lot to their rent, to their livelihood. It was super appealing to me. Yeah, I love that. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that background in, in fashion. So how long have you been working in e-commerce and what's your role now at Tappan like? Yeah, so I've been 
in the industry, especially in luxury goods, for six years. And I started out at the Dreslin before they had their website up. The Dreslin is this online uh, luxury women's wear site, and they sell brands like Rag & Bone, Helmet Lang, uh, as well as more exclusive brands like Miriam Nazir Zadeh and St. Agni. So I think that time in fashion for me was super pivotal because I got to see a startup go from, you know, they're moving the desks into the office. They are getting all of their backend set up. They are figuring out what their marketing plan is. They're figuring out what their brand looks like before it's public or before you're shifting it or pivoting it. You know, it's the first step into the public eye. That was like a field guide to branding for me. And so that was, I'm, that's such a special experience. And I was there for three years. And then I moved into consulting after that. I think I wanted to kind of diversify and dip my toes into some different industries. And, and that was really nice, too. I got into working with the standard hotels and really working with content uh, with them and just seeing how that kind of plays into marketing and branding for hotels and that cultural side of the industry. I think it's just such an interesting it's, it's such an interesting market. I mean, I think that there's really different ways to talk to consumers and the standard especially is like a really, is really good at experimenting in that, in that way. And then I was also working with independent artists and independent designers to kind of help build their brands and take all of the lessons that I learned from previous experience and, and kind of help out there. Uh, I have a really interesting background. I'm not necessarily like a, I didn't graduate with a marketing degree or a business degree. I actually came out of school with a journalism degree. And it's interesting because I think that that, that background really set me up for storytelling and like content creation. And I guess I jumped into the market at, the, at a pivotal time where brands were kind of taking more ownership of that as opposed to just relying on press entities to do so. <laughs> I'm I'm exactly the same. I did I did the same transition from journalism to marketing. <laughs> and oh, and yeah. Amazing. Now do a whole bunch of content stuff, so I totally relate. <laughs> yeah, no. It's it's definitely like a nice pivot and I think it's just it's where the space was. I think when I was in, uh, when I was working for like a small arts magazine, you know, the majority of my time I was working on advertorial and that really kind of, for me, it just felt like, Oh, I have to kind of put this, you know, little outfit on this story and try to tell this story for this brand. And they're asking us to put a, B and C in it. And I think when I saw the kind of control that they had versus like the control that, you know, journalists then had, I was like, wait, why don't I just go, you know, see what it's like to actually work for one of these brands and, and do this for just one entity. And then that's actually why I applied for the Dreslin was just to see how it is kind of more from the inside. And I guess I got hooked because I stayed, I stayed in. And then after consulting, I went to Vray and Oro. I think I was, I was working with so many great companies as a consultant and it was really an inspiring experience, but I wanted to take my skills and really hyper-focus on one brand. And Ray and Aura was in a really interesting place because they had just been acquired by Diamond Foundry, which is this tech diamond startup uh, based in San Francisco that grows diamonds in labs. 
and they were just transitioning all of their diamonds into these lab-grown diamonds, which were super sustainable and um, very eco-friendly, carbon neutral. And how do you tell a story like that? And that was super interesting to me. So I joined that team and that brand is super special to my heart as well because of the different uh, eco, like the eco-consciousness was huge there. And so telling that story, getting consumers more familiar and comfortable and aware of that space, that was a really interesting story to tell. Yeah. And now that you've shifted into the fine art industry, what's been the biggest surprise or challenge coming from that more traditional e-commerce background? Yeah, I think I'm I'm most happily surprised that my skills transferred to a different industry. You know, when Chelsea and I first had a discussion, I was really optimistic about what I'd done for past brands. And I mean, we for Vranora, we grew them to double the profit. And I was really excited about like just seeing my marketing ventures really work out. But I was also really intimidated. Art for me is something that I've always just kind of, it's more of an interest and a hobby. And I didn't really, when you don't have that art background or art history background, I think you're really intimidated to enter into a different industry or a different space. And instead of letting that kind of rule me, I decided to make the big jump. And the nicest thing is that I see a lot of the skills that I had in luxury fashion really transfer over just because the consumers are pretty uh, similar. The psychology of how and what they value is really similar. The demographics I've worked with are super similar to the demographics for tap in. And so it was an audience that I was kind of used to speaking to and Um, I'm really happy to see it's working out really well. I'd love to hear more about that audience. So how do you define them and kind of create a message that speaks to them? I'd say that Tappan, I mean, we're now, I believe, seven years old. And so I think when they first started, just like any company, you really sell to who you know. You, You also sell to yourself. I've seen that in almost every startup that each founder kind of is at the, in the beginning phases, really selling to who they are and then kind of adjacent, like who else is in my group of friends or within my peripheral? How do they buy things? How did they purchase? And then from there, I think as you gain a little bit more exposure and, and a bigger audience, there's the selling to who you're initially attracting and really taking note of that within the data and just seeing who did we not necessarily market to before, but who just had a natural interest or inclination. And now we're in a phase where we definitely have a very diverse group of buyers. I, I mean, we have New York and LA is, is our biggest markets. It's predominantly female and the, the age group is around 25 to 35. But outside of that, you know, it is kind of diverse across the board, whether that be from the business to business side or the direct to consumer side. You know, is there a lot of education you have to do in terms of reaching this audience and telling them, hey, you can buy fine art online if if that's maybe something they hadn't considered before. Absolutely. I think the messaging and the storytelling is one of my favorite parts of this job, but it's also the most necessary part to getting people to purchase art online. It's it's a pretty expensive or more luxury um, cost item that someone's taking into consideration when they're when they're purchasing it. So I think that when we are doing more storytelling around the artist, who they are, what inspires them, as well as how do you purchase online? How do you collect? Um, 
how, how do you start? You know, we're in talks with a certain, we do collector profiles on the site and that kind of just features people that have purchased Tappan artwork before and kind of also gives like a full broad view of their collection in total. And we're just now in discussions with somebody who said, you know, I really don't have a lot of art, so I don't know if I'm like a perfect person for your collector profile. And I ended up just saying, no, that's actually the ideal Tappan customer. And I'd love to still tell that story because I think there is that phase where you're also in the beginning and you're also trying to learn more about what it means to actually invest and buy into art and uh, invest into the careers of emerging artists. We definitely work really hard to kind of tell that story and help people get there. And do you feel like being in this luxury D2C space is, you know, its own unique challenge? And how do you cope with competition from more traditional art vendors? The D2C market in the luxury space is challenging more so because when you go, I think, over $100 in, you know, cost for an item, you definitely are now limiting yourself to a really small pool. And there's a lot of people selling, you know, goods in this luxury space online to this small pool. So how do you make a dent? How do you make an impact? How do you, like, catch someone's eye, especially with how quick and fast people are just consuming whether that be ads or content, um, all the time. So I would say that the smaller pool is a challenge. Um, there's also that the old guard luxury way of selling things is super hands-on and super full service where online has its different advantages. It's that you don't have to really interact with a ton of people to make your decision. You are a little bit more autonomous and, and you're going in to you know the digital store and navigating it on your own. And hopefully it has great user experience and you're, you can see everything that you want, but it's not that same like hands-on feel but at the same time, like the, where the where that comes into play is like how it's delivered, how it's shipped to you and like the correspondence that you have with like your customer care team. So I think it's really interesting to build. You have to kind of build that into a luxury market like this. So that way people still feel really taken care of. And they deserve that, especially when they're paying, you know, the prices that they're paying for the artwork that they're getting. Yeah. What do you think is the key to creating that, you know, personalized feel and that really great customer experience, but online. I think it's totally different than walking into a gallery and having, you know, an assistant really take the time to walk you through a collection and tell you the story about the artists and make sure that you feel comfortable when you're asking about prices. And it's such a different, it's such a different way of handling things. But I think we really think about the user experience in making sure that they understand where they are once they, they get to tap in, making sure that they're not intimidated and that there's price points for everybody within the art buying market. You know, we, we go a little bit below a hundred and that category is a little bit smaller all the way up to, I want to say, 12 to 15k and painting prices so you have to cater to all the audiences that are really coming to you and so just making sure that the messaging is really friendly and clear specific and that the storytelling is there right on every single product page that makes a huge difference especially in the online space other than that, I think it's like really making sure that our audience knows that they can interact with us on different platforms. So 
like our, our email team is fantastic. And the content that you're getting there is not very markety. It's way more about telling the story of the artist, telling the influence of the artist, really getting into their studio and learning more about them. Even if you're not going to purchase from us or, you, or you're not at that place where you're ready to start collecting, it's we still want to make sure that you feel super welcome and that you're still learning about our artists and about art buying and in general. So that way, when you're ready to buy and start collecting, you just don't, you feel way less intimidated. I think that's a huge part of Tappan's ethos. And now we're going to take a quick break for a word from one of our sponsors. You know, when you go to a website and you just want one thing, it should be simple, quick, friendly, even that's intercom's motto. So consider this, their invitation to businesses to step it up with messaging in the moment. Intercom makes that little chat bubble at the corner of a website. That's their messenger. It opens your business up to customers in quick and friendly ways. But it doesn't stop there. Intercom extends your team with conversational bots and guided tours inside your product. Take Intercom's success story, Unity. Before using Intercom, visitors kept abandoning their site. Unity just couldn't answer people quickly enough. The Intercom Messenger helped Unity get proactive with their visitors, and in just 12 months with Intercom, Unity got 45% more customers. That's Intercom's whole deal, connecting you to customers when it's best for you both. Give your customers the one thing they're looking for and get your best revenue channel yet. Go to intercom.com slash podcast, then see everything else Intercom can do. That's intercom.com slash podcast. And now back to our interview. You also, I noticed, have a pretty strong focus on social media, um, which makes sense considering the age range and of your audience. How large of a role has that played in Tappan's growth? Yeah, I think that when Tappan started, it definitely had a huge play there. And Instagram especially is that space that everyone is hyper-focused on because it's the it entity right now for branding and storytelling. But it's what's really interesting is that most of our traffic is actually coming from Facebook and Pinterest specifically. And Pinterest makes sense because of art being like a really popular category on that platform. The way that we view social media as well is kind of, again, like the same type of storytelling that we do via email or on our site. We're just utilizing, um, those different platforms to do the same thing. And again, for a more broad audience, it's, we still want to talk to people with that lack of intimidation and really get them to understand the art and the artist and not feel, you know, the pretentiousness that they could feel with other entities and that they feel super welcome. I think with growing tapping in total, I think we just want to keep making sure that our social strategy is, is moving ahead. I think, you know, a lot of times people get into these ruts with social media and strategy and they go, this has worked for us. This is working. Um, let's keep going. And, you know, six months down the line, they see their engagement go down. They see their follower count isn't, you know, at the same place that it used to be. All social media people listening to this are like, yes, you have to evolve. But I think that a lot of companies forget how fast you have to evolve. You have to be kind of on the cusp and really understand the platforms and kind of be living within them to make sure that you're kind of keeping up to date with how they work and how the psychology of it works. And so we're continually doing that. I think we're really focused on video right now. We love doing works in progress with our artists and really using videos from their studio. Our audience loves that. 
on Pinterest. We're trying to create more of like a lifestyle brand so that way you kind of understand the full aesthetic ethos of, of Tappan and that when you go there, you feel inspired and that you feel like you have some resources to really help you, whether that's like our art history board to learn more about art history in total or, you know, how to like lean and layer pieces and how to even hang or display your artwork. I think that's our, that's also just like kind of an intimidating first step for beginning collectors. So we try to really use that social strategy to create that holistic story for Tappan. Yeah, I love that. I totally, I totally agree. I feel like anyone who's focused on social media promotion at all understands that whatever was cool last year and worked last year does not work right now. So (laughs) you've got to pay attention. You'll notice pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah. And so in addition to organic, are you also focusing at all on paid? And if yes, have you gotten at all concerned about the rising cost of paid acquisition and had to adjust your strategy at all? This is some beginning phases for Tappan with, well, especially in my time here, this is actually um, the beginning of a new way of kind of working in digital ads. They've definitely tested and, and tried different platforms. They, they've done it, uh, paid acquisition on Pinterest, on Google, and we, we also do Facebook and Instagram. I come from companies that spent a lot of money and a lot of effort in acquiring their audience this way, and it really worked. This question really interests me because the increasing costs, I think they're really hard for small companies to take on, especially when you're competing with people that, you know, have investors or have um, this large amount of money that they're putting in where they can spend up to forty to $50,000 a month just on paid ads alone. And that's, and that's considered small spend for some people that it is really challenging to kind of break through that noise. But I would say that what we're really Uh, focused on is making sure that we're targeting the right audiences and that we're really going after past customers and that we're creating audiences that kind of look like that. And that's kind of been our focus. And then that we just stay true to our brand. I think a lot of people use a lot of sales gimmicks. I've, I've worked with many digital marketers where, you know, as, as the brand person, we're in like full heated debates about how we're, how we're going to put something out just because, they want, you know, they want to kind of sacrifice the integrity of a brand to get a quick click. And, you know, they're looking at numbers, they're looking at clicks, they're trying to think about how fast can we make this money. But I think that as much as this, this isn't like the sexiest startup thing to say, but I think that if you're really, if you really want to build a brand with longevity and something that you want to see go on for multiple years, you really have to kind of take it slow and make sure that even in your acquisition, you're acquiring people who are going to be quality, quality customers as opposed to just quick purchasers. I think that that is not really valued as much anymore, especially since a lot of people are taking investment and need to see that investment back very quickly. But I think it's been really great to work with Tappan in that way because, you know, Chelsea's really prioritized creating an audience and a group of people that really can get behind the ethos and can really understand the brand, you know, in total. You know, our paid strategy is a little bit different than others, but I I really appreciate it. I think anyone who works in marketing has also experienced that push and pull of like what works right now versus what's good for the business in a longer term. It's hard to justify the longer term investment sometimes when you're like, okay, we're not going to see any results from this activity for six months at least. It's it's hard. 
It is really hard. I mean, I think it's, I think it's really fascinating to also just the immediate want to see like return on ad spend when it's kind of, you know, digital ads actually work a lot like word of mouth where it's just naturally kind of spreading, get, you know, getting right in front of your customer. It takes time for them to kind of even digest what they just saw. Maybe they'll think of you when, oh, now they have to buy a present for somebody. Wait, what was that? What was that art company? I actually really want to see. I really want to do something more original and buy a painting for them because now they've bought this new home and it's a great housewarming gift. Or now I've just moved apartments and I have a lot more space. Maybe I could actually invest in some art and, and start collecting that, you know, that purchase moment is probably a lot different than when they originally saw your ad. So you kind of have to think about it in the long run, especially with art, uh, in my opinion, because you just don't know when that purchase is going to happen. I think also we have a very long window of, um, selling the works as well, where an immediate product, something that's $200 and I have a jewelry background. So, you know, if it's a $200 necklace, you're expecting more of a like seven, it'll just take seven days from them seeing the ad to probably purchasing. And and that's a typical buying cycle for us, especially with the higher end works, you, you definitely see a longer window. It can be up to 60 days and that makes total sense because it's, it's a bigger investment. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating game. Very much so. Yeah. I think the, the higher price point, yeah, the, it's going to just naturally be a longer consideration process, take more marketing investment to, to convert that, that final sale. It just makes sense. Well, now I want to go into one of my fun questions that I ask everybody, which is what is one time that you failed and what happened and what did you learn from it? We work with OKRs, which are objectives and key results. And I'm sure a lot of people are very familiar familiar with those. (laughs) And it's actually, I've, I've loved that system. Um, I worked with that system in our past company. And what I will say is the super advantage of it is that you create all these goals. And now you, as you're working through the quarter, you're making all these initiatives that, you know, that are kind of stemming from the goal in total. And while that sounds very sensical, for whatever reason, OKRs are kind of like this strange magic sauce that I've just seen really actually bring focus to a lot of groups. So we work with OKRs and that means we fail quarterly. (laughs) Um, And I actually love doing that. I think that you know, last quarter we, we didn't hit our Instagram follower growth plan. We didn't hit this like really large number that we threw out there. And it kind of made sense because at the time we were experienced or we were experimenting with the kind of content we were producing. We were trying to really adapt to this ever-changing algorithm and, um, some of the old school things that we were also doing that were kind of just like standard. We have to post this, we have to do this. Those weren't really matching up to the goal of like gaining this much larger, larger audience. But then from those failures, you really go into either the next quarter or or you can pivot quicker and you can just really see, okay, this is not working. This strategy isn't working. Let's all come together. Let's brainstorm. Let's um, look at other entities that are doing really cool and inspiring things completely outside of the art space. And how do we kind of take 
you know, that storytelling or that method of content creation and, you know, bring it, bring it into tap in and, and see how it does for, you know, our audience. And so while that's like kind of a smaller failure there, I think it's just, I think those small failures are what get everyone on the right track in the long run. And you can't really be afraid of them. I think the more you experiment and the more you're able to kind of pivot and, and experiment further, you're going to see, I think longer and more, more sustaining results. I obviously love this question because I think failures are key to figuring things out. You have to, you have to do something bad in order to do something good. Yeah, no, I totally agree. (laughs) So yeah, at the same time, I'd love to hear about a success, a campaign or some tactic that you tried at Tappan that went really well and what happened. Yeah. So I think when we started, we our email audience is super loyal and we, we really love speaking to them because they really crave content and storytelling. And so, uh, when I started, I saw that we were having, uh, we were sending to kind of exclusive groups to make sure that we weren't getting a high level of unsubscribes. It's kind of like a non sexy thing to talk about, but like, that was just like the method that we were, that we were utilizing. And sometimes that fear of, the unsubscribe can kind of, it definitely can limit how much you feel like you can talk to your audience when in reality, like there's so many great softwares out there that help you actually uh, make sure that you're talking to an engaged audience that wants to get your content. And as long as you listen to like the suggestions and rules that they're putting in place for you, you're, you're probably going to be talking to somebody who, who wants to receive what you have to say. So I think that the pivot into a different software that really helped us learn that and focus more around data and then really adding to the storytelling that we're doing there. I think right now we're working with uh, a new content theme called Under the Influence, where we're really going in and taking these like inspirational images, whether it be like this beautiful location in Norway that one of our artists goes to, to take inspiration for their work. Or we're going to talk to another artist about, you know, musicians or architecture that really speak to them and kind of create these mood boards so that you kind of see the, uh, the internal mind of our artists because you can't speak to them in person. And that can be a, a bit challenging. But I would say that those different campaigns and really diversifying there is it's I'm definitely seeing some really, really great results. And we're seeing our audience. They're super attracted to them. Outside of that, I think we're really pivoting towards our collector profiles. I think we, we do a great job of telling the artist story, but I think the more that our audience sees the spectrum of our collectors, they'll kind of understand more or could see more of themselves within Tappan as well. And I think that that's super important to us. So you're definitely going to see a lot more collector profiles going up. And um, we're really excited to kind of share their stories and, and share their unique collections. They're all so beautiful. I have to be honest, I'm a little bit jealous of your job. It sounds very fun. <laughs> but I would I would definitely say this is one of the best jobs I've ever had. So if Ch- if Chelsea's listening, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also love art. And I feel like, yeah, the storytelling aspect here is just so, so cool. Definitely like a dream marketing job. <laughs> I know. I am very lucky. I, d- I think about that a lot. Looking to the future, what do you think is coming next for Tappan and just in general in the space of, you know, selling and buying art online? The market is ever changing. So we're trying to stay on top of that. Digital ads, again, I think we're really trying to strategize what it looks like to 
make sure that we're talking to our audience in a really modern and unique way, but also in a very like educational way. So I think we're really excited to kind of take on that challenge um, in the new year. Um, in total, I would say that you know, we get these trade reports that are really fascinating about how people are buying, how people are interacting um, with artists online. Social media is now one of the largest things that people go to, to, you know, look through an artist's feed and understand more about their practice before they purchase. And so I think a lot of our consumers are probably doing that as well. So we're trying to make that super easy and accessible as well to really feature the artists, um, across the board. So that way you kind of understand more so who you're investing in. Um, that trend, that trend is super interesting to us. So we want to continually kind of create that ease of connection to the artist or more direct connection. Um, and then outside of that, I would say that we're really focused on um, our online experience and bettering that. I think that that's such a huge investment as well. Um, it can definitely compete with how much you have to put into ad spend. And so just making sure that that digital product is as accessible and easy to use and educational as some of our, um, some of our marketing efforts, um, our team is really, really focused on that. And then, in, and I think in outside events, like we don't do a ton of, um, in-person events just because our audience is everywhere. I mean, they're, they're focused in New York and LA, but we definitely want to make sure that no one has like the fear of missing out, uh, if we only have events in Los Angeles, but any events that we do, we're trying to kind of create more of a either personal connection or an educational connection. So we have one event coming up where we're really going to talk about what it means to invest in art and especially for what. It's with a um, like a members only women's group. And I think it's really fascinating because it's about investing in art and what that looks like and that this can be kind of a starting investment that a lot of people in finance and a lot of people in in different categories already know about and have focused on for a very long time. But I think what especially younger women don't understand is that you can actually purchase, you know, a work of art that you love for 500 to a thousand dollars. And that can go up in value. It can double, it can triple over time. People have been doing this for a very, very long time. And, and you can kind of think about art as an investment. I think we always think about, you know, supporting our emerging artists because of the aesthetic value and the quality of their work. But I think it's also really important to teach women that it is also, it can be an investment in yourself. And so we have an event around that. And then we're also thinking about just bringing our audience into the actual studios of our artists so they can see that direct connection in person. They can talk to our artists. The more we can get them like face to face without, you know, I, it's really challenging to do that, but the more face to face time we can give, I think the more connected and less intimidating art can feel. Yeah. I love the idea of visiting the artisan studio. One of my favorite things that happens uh, out here in, in the Boston area is uh, there's a lot of open studio weekends where you can go just like wander into people's studios and see their art and buy it. And it's super fun. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I think that there's more the more and more communities that kind of do that and take away the less or take away that intimidation factor, the more we're going to see a different kind of group of people be attracted to art as well. And, and we're excited to see more people kind of participate in that. To learn more about Tappan, go to tappancollective.com. That's T-A-P-P-A-N-C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E.com. 
And you can also follow them on Instagram at Tappan Collective, which I definitely recommend you do. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And we'll see you lovely humans again in two weeks.